hear me. А вы что, собираетесь на ней жениться? Да. Ух, красота-то какая, лепота. Таможня дает добро. Я вообще не называю меня, пожалуйста, Вероника. Кто я? Вот кто я? Отныне русские земля единый быть. Hi, my name's Ali, and this is the Rus Files Unite podcast, where we watch Russian films and films with a Russian connection. As always, I'm joined by a guest, and today my guest is Carrie. Hi, Carrie. Hello. Thanks for coming along. Thanks for inviting me. Can you tell the listeners uh, a little bit about yourself? Uh, I'm Ali's wife. We met while working for the same company in Moscow, and I've been explicitly told that I'm not allowed to heckle Ali during this podcast. <laughs> I'm just going to edit that out, so that's fine. <laughs> Uh, Carrie has been on another episode, but that won't probably go out until after this. So uh, this is not out of the blue, but uh, yes. From experience, he knows to tell me explicitly not to heckle. Um, whether, um, as you've uh, already already heard, uh, that uh, request has, uh, has uh, not had the desired effect. And I think it was probably foolhardy of me to make that request in the first place. But uh, you live because in... it only put a ideas into my head. Yep, yep. So uh, you live and maybe you learn, or perhaps in my case, you don't. But anyway, so you've already brought in that um, you lived in Russia for a while, obviously at the same time as, as me. Um, but tell us a little bit about how you came to be in Russia and some stuff about your time there. I studied Russian language and literature as my degree. I uh, studied abroad there for one year in Moscow at the Russian State University of the Humanities. After I graduated, I went back to Russia, to Moscow specifically. Okay, I mean, that's a fairly out of the ordinary thing to choose to study. What made you decide that it was a good idea? It was kind of just a... I didn't really know what I wanted to do with my life, like most 17, 18-year-olds, and I wanted to study a language because I thought they were interesting, wanted to study abroad, and uh, just kind of fell into it, ended up studying Russian because my advisor recommended it, and he happened to be a Russian professor. And apparently was quite persuasive and uh, good at selling his subject. Yes, he was. Um... Did you have, you know, many ideas about what it was going to be like before you went there? I knew it was going to be a huge city. I knew that the winter was going to be longer than, say, at home uh, in the States. 
but I didn't have a really strong set expectations about too much about what it would be like. Okay, so in, in I guess that means you didn't really have any things to that to either to live up to or you know to expectations to to challenge. That being said, uh, what were your sort of initial um, impressions of the place? A lot of what I had to, or a lot of what I found difficult to deal with, had to do with living in a big city. Uh, Moscow's population is what, like fourteen million or something. It's huge. Yeah. Uh, I from a very 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 small town, so just that many cars, that many people, that much traffic, dealing with the metro. There was that aspect of the culture shock, in addition to the fact that everything was in Russian. And I struggled for weeks to understand what was going on around me. Expectations of what people do and how you behave in different situations is different. Like It, it just, it was just a lot to, to adjust to, as you would expect when you're moving to a foreign country. Yeah, and in comparison to the experience I had when I was first there, I I went there with uh, with my my teaching job. So I had quite a, and we all uh, all of us at the company had quite a lot of hand holding from the staff, and we would be sharing a flat with uh, another uh, teacher. So by definition, somebody somebody else who spoke English. But your experience was much more sort of being thrown in the, the deep end, I think it's fair to say. Linguistically, yes. Uh, I was living with a Russian family, a Russian grandmother and, and specifically, and she doesn't really speak English at all. So, yeah, I mean, I had to use Russian straight away to communicate, but I was there with a university program. So I had classes. I had our program coordinator to help us around, show us around. I had the other students who... I was studying with who are the us that I'm referring to. So it's not like I was dropped off and, you know, had to fend for myself completely. Yeah. Uh, I I did have somebody to hold my hand and show me around and help me out. Uh, That did make it much easier to adjust. Yeah. But as far as you you said, with the the linguistically sort of being deeper immersed, I mean, um, to this day you speak, Russian a lot better than me, but you had practice pretty much. Well, you you studied it for a couple of years before you went out there. Is that... Two years, yeah, before I went there. Yeah, so you were starting from a, a a much higher level, and then you had a lot of real time, real life practice with mm-hmm. people who weren't just going to go. Uh, can we just switch over to English, please? Mm-hmm. Yeah, that does significantly help when you're forced to communicate in Russian or not at all. So yeah, um I visited a few times when I was over there. Um the grandmother uh, that Carrie uh, stayed with, uh, as Carrie had a second st- spell staying there later on. Um and I remember sort of seeing seeing the the dictionary that was in a particular place in the kitchen and Carrie saying, "Yep, I had to reach for that all the time just to kind of communicate at the beginning. Yeah, she takes, uh, just for context, she takes students in every single year and there's a dictionary sitting next to the place in the kitchen where you'd be sitting so you could just reach over and pull it out when you're trying to have a conversation and don't know a word. 
Um, and while I was there in semesters or times when she didn't have a student, she was like, she just loves having somebody live with her. So she offered to rent out the room to me. And of course I accepted because she was awesome. So. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I can, <laughs> I can confirm she was very, very, uh, very nice and, and also an extremely interesting uh, person. Mm-hmm. You could probably do like an entire podcast on sort of her and the things that she did and the um the things that she she lived through because you know mm-hmm. pretty much well a huge proportion of her life Russia I mean obviously it's still very different now from the USA and from from Britain but back then even more so because obviously the system of government and the way the economy was run sort of fundamentally uh, different. So that gives us quite a good background as far as your experience living in in Moscow. Also, living with a Russian, it meant that you were probably a bit more, almost by default, culturally immersed. So it meant that you watched, ended up watching quite a lot of films, partly as entertainment and partly just as, you know, as language practice. Is that is that fair? Yeah, I mean, whenever you're learning a foreign language, it's a really good idea to watch movies in said language, even if it's with the subtitles or sometimes especially with the subtitles and you pause it when a new word comes up, write it down, that's your vocab list. And you learn phrases and intonation and all that kind of, how real people speak, uh, essentially. So yeah, I did watch quite a few movies, both Western movies in Russian and Russian movies in Russian, of course, so that that was a good chunk of how I spent my time as far as language learning, aside from my actual coursework. Yeah, because you have the advantage of like, well, technically it's studying, but it's also, you know, hopefully if it's a good movie, it's fun as well. It's a more entertaining way of studying than just, you know, memorizing vocabulary lists. And it also sticks better because it's in context. Yeah. As opposed to just a word on a list. I mean, this is an extreme example, but I would sometimes, as once my Russian got to a decent standard, go to the cinema partly in order to just to practice language. So I remember um, bizarre things like um, I watched The Hobbit a couple of times, and for some reason I can still remember um, that uh, the villain in that, uh, Azog, the defiler. I remember the Russian word for defiler, which is askvernitel, which is not a word that I find <laughs> very useful in in day to day life. But like, Radkia is despicable me. <laughs> okay, <laughs> yeah, but like you were saying, just the fact that I had that thing to hook it on meant that it stuck. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. So, um, yes. My, my Russian vocabulary is a bit weird. but um, So this film that we're watching, um, this is one that you'd seen, seen before. Yeah, it's probably been 10 years since I've seen it. It's a very famous Russian movie. It's the kind that is always, always, always on at New Year's. Like, always. It's the traditional New Year's movie. Yes, because, of course, in Soviet Russia, it's... Uh, it's nearly always winter, or so it seems, and definitely, definitely never Christmas. So this is not a Christmas movie, but this is a, a movie from this sort of time of year. Now, in the UK, there are films that are pretty much invariably 
on TV, or at least growing up, I don't know how much this is still true. It's a long time since we sort of watched TV uh, at, at Christmas that wasn't DVDs and stuff. But there were certain films that would just always be on in the schedule. And they didn't even need to necessarily be Christmas films. Like the um, two that really readily spring to mind are Casablanca, not very Christmassy, but always on at Christmas, and The Great Escape, which... I haven't actually seen that, and as far as I know, there's no Christmas connection as well, um, which uh, leads me to ask, for you, for you, growing up in the States, was there anything that was sort of traditionally just on at this time of year? Yeah, a lot of them were the traditional Christmas movies, stereotypical ones that you associate with Christmas. So, for example, Miracle on 34th Street, It's a Wonderful Life, um, Christmas Carol in any of its dozens of permutations. Um, yeah, musical White Christmas. There were lots and lots and lots of different Christmas movies that would be on and around. Not necessarily that we would watch them, but you're always aware that that stuff is there and it gets referred to and it's just a cultural thing. Yeah, but as, as far as you're aware, there isn't films that are just on at Christmas, even if they're not, they don't have an obvious connection? I'm sure there are, but I don't remember, pay attention that <laughs> no, much. Nothing readily. I, you did not marry me for my pop culture knowledge. No, I guess not. <laughs> but yeah, um, yeah, yeah, funnily enough, I, as I say, never watched Great Escape, but it is weirdly always on so I'd be interested to know like how long that has been the case but yeah whatever do you have any sort of favorites that that you that you would watch sort of on a fairly regular basis or from childhood or since then or or um i guess from childhood really no <laughs> <laughs> sorry to disappoint you with that answer all right um i mean it's pretty much become a family tradition for us to watch Muppet Christmas Carol, which I think I'd been doing a few years before Carrie and I got got married, but that's one of the one of the few Christmas traditions that I'm kind of adamant about because I love it so much. But yeah, no, I'll have to start watching that kind of stuff until December, right? Until it's officially December, right? Which is why we've delayed this recording up until this point. Um, but anyway, going back to the movie that we're that we're watching. Um, what is it even called? Because I'm not even sure we've said the title yet. Yeronia Subui? There's another name for it as well. Yes, I have it written down here, and it's upside down, So, <laughs> and in my Russian handwriting, so that's probably what's stumping you. Yeah, so it's Ironia Tsudbui, or Ili Slyokim Param. Okay, that's the other name. Which means, the irony of fate, or enjoy your bath. Literally, with light steam, but that doesn't make sense. Um, Carrie, what? Why would somebody <laughs> say with with light steam? Well, Russia has a sauna culture where that's a thing that you do to relax. So you go to the sauna with friends, sit in the steam room, then you'll either jump in a cold pool after you've been in the steam room for a while or if you're really hardcore you'll go outside and roll around in the snow before coming back in 
And this is often accompanied by either you know, drinking tea and eating cookies or something, or in the case of this movie, consuming lots of vodka with your friends. Yes. So, uh, and and the the traditional thing that you say to people, I I don't remember whether it's just as you're starting or I can't remember. It's a long time since I I did it, but yeah, you just say it as a sort of you know enjoy your bath, but it literally translates as with light steam because apparently you don't want the steam to be heavy because heavy steam is bad. <laughs> anyway. Anyway. Um. So. Have you just seen this movie the the once or seen it a couple of times? Maybe just the once. I honestly don't remember. So it was a long time ago. Obviously, yes. you didn't have such a bad recollection of it that you're you refused to do this for the podcast. But yeah, so it's it's not one that's necessarily stuck with you. Is that fair? Um. Yeah, that's fair that it hasn't stuck with me. But I do remember it being a nice romantic comedy sort of a movie there's nothing horrifically tragic or shocking it's not like a schindler's list type of thing that's going to stick with you just because of how moving and awful the images are that are flashing across the screen and then kind of stamped on your brain forever afterwards yeah yeah this is not one of those types of movies Although, if you just took the short title in isolation and didn't tell anyone about the movie and you just said, it's called The Irony of Fate. That could be about something horrific and like a, what was it, Final Destination style. Yeah. Awful movie. Yes. I mean, we're sort of, uh, I'm going into stereotype territory here but it does seem like something that Russians would decide to call a comedy. Yes. If you give British people or Americans the job of naming a film that is supposed to be funny, they won't come up with the title The Irony of Fate. But it's a fitting title, considering how it starts out and what happens within it, without giving away the plot too much before we even watch it. Yeah, and and often with romantic films in in the West, a lot of it does kind of hinge around some fairly um, sort of coincidental or sort of random chance happenings because that's sort of the whole, you know, star-crossed lovers. Serendipity, yeah. Yeah, yeah, that kind of thing. Okay, so before we get into the film i should also mention if you're if you're looking for it that it is from 1975 and it's directed by eldar rizanov and you can find it on on youtube uh if you uh look under moss film which is the studio uh, that made it all right so we should we should watch the film and as we always do on this show uh, we launch into the film by speaking a bit of russian and the bit of russian that we speak is Payekhali. Uh Carrie, can you explain the cultural, I guess, historical significance of that fairly like workday Russian word? One way of translating it would be let's go. And it's kind of a thing because it's what Yuri Gagarin said before he launched into space. Cool. So one, two, three. 
Поехали! Поехали! Один до Москвы. Я спросил у Ясеня, где моя любимая. Ясень не ответил мне, качая головой. Я спросил у Тополя, где моя любимая. Hello and welcome back. Carrie and I have just watched The Irony of Fate, Ironia Sudbui, and Carrie is going to give us a little bit of a summary of, of the action. We should say that uh, um, earlier we had uh, one or two uh, what Carrie likes to call adult beverages, so hopefully that won't be too obvious, but it, even if it is, that will sort of be in keeping with the subject of or a major event in this film. So anyway, away you go, Carrie. So to understand the movie and what happens and how it possibly could come about, there's a bit of setup that you need. One is that a lot of Russian cities, and especially Soviet cities as they were built, they would use the same half dozen street names over and over. And you even have that in the States. Like every town has a main street, First Avenue, lots of streets are named after trees. Uh, but that's one thing to know. Then after World War II... Like in many places in Europe, there's a big building spree and the Soviet Union built lots of high-rise apartment buildings all in the same plan. So they all look identical, whether you're in one city or another. It's just these same apartment buildings over and over and over. Very quickly and very cheaply. Yeah, very quickly and very cheaply. You also had limited consumer goods that you could buy. So there was... You know, everybody had the same furniture, the same Christmas decorations, the same this, the same that. Like, there wasn't, there weren't thousands of choices. You know, you had a choice of three different rugs or carpets, and that was it, sort of thing. Or three different types of wallpaper. So everybody's, you know, apartments looked very similar. And the uh, movie even, the movie points this out and even goes to the point of saying that even the keys, there were only certain types of keys. This is very, very important to understand because the movie starts off with the main character, Zhenya, going with his friends to the sauna. And they have that tradition every 31st of December. They go, they have a few drinks. Except this time they have lots of drinks. Lots and lots of drinks because they are drinking to the fact that Zhenya just got engaged to his girlfriend, Galia. And he gets so stinking drunk that when they all go to the airport to see off the friend, Pavel, um, Zhenya and Pavel fall asleep, and the other two friends are trying to decide which friend it is that should, should get sent to St. Petersburg. And they decide that it's Zhenya who should get sent to St. Petersburg from Moscow. So... I hate to heckle at this point, but technically we should point out that it's Leningrad at this point. Right, anyway. So going from Moscow to St. Petersburg, which I'm going to continue to call it just because you thought to correct me. Anyway. <laughs> so Zhenya basically is so drunk, he sleeps through the plane ride, sleeps through telling the taxi 
driver, you know, he gives him the same address that he would in Moscow, can still get a, a get to the same building. He thinks it's the same building as his Moscow um, apartment. His key works in the door. He goes into the apartment and he lays down and falls asleep. Yeah, sort of collapses into the sofa bed. Yeah. Um, so then the real apartment owner comes home and she, you know, is putting stuff down for her New Year's preparations and stuff that she bought. And she sees a strange man in her bed and f- understandably freaks out. So then hijinks ensue. They figure out what happened. He's kind of drunk. Um, still. Still drunk, uh, despite all of this. Um, the the woman's name is Nadia. That's important to know. She and Jenya are the two main characters. So Nadia's trying to get rid of him, figure out what's happening. Nadia's boyfriend then comes over for the New Year's celebration. Nadia's boyfriend's name is Ippolit. Ippolit freaks out because what is Zhenya doing in his girlfriend's bed? Uh, you know, it's, do, it's a valid question. Yeah, why do you have a strange man in your bed? What's going on? With no trousers. Yeah, and he's not wearing any trousers at this point. So it, it's kind of, it is pretty, not that Ippolit's a great guy. You know, he turns out to be not a great guy. Um, but massive arguments and back and forth and back and forth. And stuff happens that Nadia warms to Zhenya and gets turned off on Ippolit a little bit. Um, so there's lots of getting back together, breaking up, getting back together, breaking up with both Zhenya and Ippolit as this goes on. People leaving the apartment, people coming back to the apartment, people ringing on the bell. Yeah, phone calls back and forth because Zhenya's trying to call Galia, tell her what happened. Galia's breaking up with Zhenya. Lots of romantic hijinks and arguments and whatnot ensue. And that's the rest of the movie. And we won't tell you exactly who ends up with whom in the end. You would have to watch the movie yourself. All right. Excellent summary. Thank you, Carrie. Um, So you said that this was a about 10 years since you last saw it. Mm-hmm. How does this viewing kind of match up with that? Were there things that you remembered straight away? Was there anything that really surprised you about the film? How was it this time around? I'd forgotten that it was so long. Like, it was three hours. I was thinking, oh, romantic comedy. It's like, you know, hour and a half to two hours. No, it was three hours hours and a bit and a bit and i mean considering genya and nadia's relationship throughout it they like get back together and break up as often as 13 year old <laughs> like you yeah. do need a lot of time to cover all that ground but the yeah. movie basically takes place all within uh, everything in the with the action within it is in less than 24 hours yeah and most of it is in in one location namely nadia's flat um what yeah, i should have you, you could almost have it be a play considering how few scenes and different scene what little scenery you need yeah um we should have pointed out that actually technically this was uh was a tv movie originally um and it was split into into two roughly equal hour and a half plus parts so maybe that kind of factors in if you're sort of watching it 
the first half one day and then watching the second half another day, maybe it's less less of a, a marathon. But I think these days when they show it on Russian TV, I think they just they just show the whole lot sort of consecutively. And of course, there'll be ad breaks. So by the time you get to the end of a three hour plus movie with lots of ad breaks, it's probably getting on for sort of four and a half hours. Mm-hmm. But um, but yeah, so um, besides the fairly epic uh, runtime, any anything else sort of um, sort of jump out at you? And... I'd forgotten how much Ibalite is in it because I knew that they were that Nadia and Genya were in relationships with other people, but I had forgotten just how much Ibalite shows. Yeah, but I guess. You know, if in my mind the movie was shorter, if you'd had Ippolit be in a lot less of it, you could have cut about an hour of the film out at least. Yeah, yeah. Um, so let's start with the positive. Um, what uh, what did you like? There was a lot of good music in it. Like the the movie is practically a musical, considering uh, Nadia and Jenya both play guitar and sing, and they often do pick up the guitar and sing a song and the songs that they play match the mood of what's going on or what the characters are going through emotionally at the time which is mostly kind of sad and wistful and kind of angsty yeah there are some happy songs but yeah um so that was that was interesting they also did some interesting stuff with the music like there was a a main piano theme background and they would often have that playing in the background and then something would happen and it would stop short and there'd be absolute silence. So, for example, when Nadia first sees Genya sleeping in her bed, and you know, she's un- unwrapping things and setting some stuff out. And then she turns and sees him and the music from being background playing, like, stops short. Or there's another point where Genya's opening a bottle of champagne and doing stuff. And when he actually pops the bottle, that's when the music stops. So there was different interesting background music stuff that happened. Yeah, I'm really glad you mentioned that because that was that was really effective. Um, as, while we're still on the subject of, of music, um, this film was introduced to me years and years and years ago um, in my one of my first Russian lessons. They they did it as a as a listening exercise. It was really difficult, but um, but yeah, and I remember just thinking, "Wow, this is this is a really good song." I mean, now that I know the lyrics, it's kind of a bit silly because it's this guy asking trees different things, um, but it sounds really kind of melancholic and great. And as Carrie will probably confirm, that is the sort of music I'm into anyway. So yes, I really liked the the music too. Um, anything else in the kind of um, the sort of good? Ledger. I mean, I know we've only had one thing so far. Um, it ended. <laughs> you got to do something else. Yes. Okay. So, so I, this is not a movie that I would rewatch every year. Like, I remembered why it's been ten years since I've seen it. I do. I. I don't understand why Russians feel the need to watch it over and over and over again. All right. Cross that question out for later then. <laughs> Okay, um, I I think probably the reason it does, I mean it's it's quite it's a sweet it's a sweet movie. Also, once you've got the basic premise, you can probably pick it up just about any point in the runtime and kind of know where you are and sort of just you know enjoy it in a fairly light way. It's 
I mean, it's funny, but it's not. It's not one of those ones where if you don't have... As long as you know the idea, and it's quite a memorable idea to begin with, if you know that central conceit, you're kind of, you're good to go and pick it up at any point and, yeah, you'll enjoy it. I completely disagree with you about it being a sweet movie. Okay, we should probably uh, probably get on to that then. So, I think Genia's trash. <laughs> he's be- way better than him and way better than he believes as well. And, like... Jen is not a good guy to be in a relationship with. I think, yeah, I tend to concur. I, I mean, I said about it being sweet, but yes, when you when you think about it for more than about a minute and a half, yeah, there are some problematic things. But uh, I'll let you sort of take the lead on that. So first of all, what the main thing she knows about him is that he got so stupidly drunk that he could get on an airplane to a different city and not notice. Like, how do you not notice this? And then he was an angry drunk as well. So he's yelling at her. He's refusing to get up. He's causing all these problems. And yet she's okay with him hanging around. And the one nice thing that he does do, the one good thing in his favor, is he washes a bowl. (laughs) So it's like he does all this stuff with yelling at her, um, ripping up a picture of her boyfriends, or destroying her stuff. But no, he washes that bowl. So therefore, he's a good guy. He's a catch. He's a catch. So Nadia should consider getting a a relationship with him. Like, no! (laughs) I, I think that, I think that's fair. Um, and also, you know, he doesn't really treat his fiance all that well in the beginning. I mean, it's very, very clear that he, his feet are super icy when she suggests they get engaged and he's kind of as much doing it because he feels like, uh, well, if, if not this person, then maybe I'll die alone or something along those lines. He doesn't specifically say that, but he's kind of like, uh, uh, I guess, which, you know, if you're going to propose to somebody, you should probably be slightly more committed than that. Also why he's trash. Yeah. Um, he's like, hey, let me get in a relationship with another girl, despite the fact that I proposed to somebody like four hours ago. Well, yeah, maybe like, if we're being super pedantic about it, maybe like 12, 13. But yes, in principle, it's the same day. Yeah. <laughs> Just you're engaged already. I mean, I can see how maybe if you've been engaged for like three years and it's one of those sort of engagements where it's like, well, they're engaged, but they, you know, they're never actually going to go through with it. Then you can kind of see why somebody might wonder, but mm-hmm. not justifying that kind of <laughs> behavior, but you know what I mean? Um, yeah. He's yeah. supposed to be you know, besotted, newly betrothed. So, yeah, yeah, generally concur. Um, but how about uh, Ippolite? He, how does, how does he fare? Um, not very well. Ippolite is kind of Genia's foil in many ways, and that, you know, uh, he's very solid, stable, secure, 
not a dreamer, uh, he's financially successful in that he's able to buy Nadia real French perfume. So Nadia's no longer very young. She's older than 30, which to be a single woman in Russia older than 30 is, you know, especially back, even now, but especially back then would have been just a tragedy. So it's kind of like Nadia's looking at this as, oh, a handsome successful stable guy comes along he's great well he doesn't exactly respect Nadia and he doesn't talk to her very nicely I mean it's understandable that he's really upset when he sees Zhenya a half-dressed Zhenya in her apartment but he's still like he insults her he says I'm not nice things he's just he sort of storms off he storms off and comes back and storms off multiple times yeah, it's funny. In in spite of that kind of facade of stability and you know straightforwardness, he's he's actually quite a stress ball. He um, is. But, he also comes back blind drunk at one point. Like, yeah, neither of these guys are catches. I think Nadia would be better off by herself. Yeah, I mean, I I feel like we should also point out that Genia is is also. I think he's. He's pushing forty, so you kind of think, well, if a sort of I a... thought it was mid to like thirty six or something. I think he says. All right, yeah, thirty six, thirty seven. Okay, but he's 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 over halfway through that decade of his life. Yeah. Oh, more heckling. <laughs> um, this is this is because I said the Leningrad thing, isn't it? Yes. Yeah. Okay. Well, I kind of deserved it. Um, you always deserve to be heckled. <laughs> is it good to be heckling again? Yes, it is. Oh no, that's why you say it's good to be doing anything again. Because this is a festive episode and that's in The Muppets Christmas Carol. Oh uh, yeah, the two old guys. Yeah, yeah, Stadler and Waldorf or Marley and Marley. Whoa! Festive episode. <laughs> <laughs> Gotta crowbar that back in. Um, yeah, I I really like the actor who plays... Hippolyte, as we've discussed, it's kind of a scummy, not very good character. And it's quite a thankless one in terms of the job. Mm. As you say, mm-hmm. he's kind of, he's the stolid, you know, not very soulful guy who's there kind of to make Genia look kind of good in comparison. But yeah. um, the actor who plays him, Yuri Yakolev, just gives it, some welly and just sort of total commitment to the really pretty silly things he's he's given to do some welly like he puts a lot of effort in oh you could just say he's a good actor sure but i wanted a more colorful expression well that makes it sound like you're gonna put on your wellies and go through a muddy field he gives it some welly oh just go with it (laughs) Anyway, he's he's really good, and if you've seen other Russian films from this this period, you'll also recognise him as Ivan Grozny or Ivan the Terrible, um, as he ten- it tends to get translated. Uh, it's a it's the same actor who plays it in a uh, it's a comedy uh, about time travel, um, and it might be a movie that you know. Allie could do a podcast on in the future, but we won't give away that movie for you. Yeah, so you'll have to keep listening. <laughs> yes. 
yeah, definitely want to want to visit that at, at some point. Um, yeah, okay. So negatives beyond the fact that the two main guys are not very great. Anything else that you had? It's long. You've it's said that. Long. Um, <laughs> Carrie would like to underline that this is not a short film. Yes, I would like to underline that. Um, it's it really could have been cut down with like the number of times they. I know I've said this already, but the number of times they break up and get back together, and then break up and then get back, like it just. It's just not a good relationship. And I know, and the way the movie is setting it up, it's supposed to be like, this is such a romance, the serendipity, you know, they just happened to meet each other. It was fate. It's like, no, no. On on that score, I do like, there's one little line that one of the characters says at, at one point that kind of punctures the whole fate theme. Um, Genia is explaining that... Um, uh, about the whole situation and he says he was sent to Leningrad um and the other character says something like what what are you were sent what what are you a parcel or something um and I just kind of quite liked that sort of a little bit of skepticism about the uh, about the whole sort of fate and serendipity mm-hmm. idea and that not everyone inside the movie itself was was totally on board with that so i thought that was cool one thing i liked that we didn't um already mention um was there's this one scene where nadia walks through st petersburg um just she kind of decides she needs to get out of the apartment for a bit and again this is one of the bits where the music is really good and you have lots of sort of atmospheric shots of the city and snow swirling. And it's kind of cheesy, but I felt like it, like that scene worked quite well. So that was another bit that I liked. Yeah, but that's also because it didn't have any of the crappy men in it. It was just Nadia. Fair enough. Oh, you wanted to, uh, to mention something about, about her as well. That, Oh, yeah, she's a Polish actress, and the director really liked her look. Yeah, her her name's Barbara Brilska. Um, But she had, when she spoke in Russian, she clearly had a Polish accent and was Polish. Uh, So they dubbed her voice for the entire movie. And I can't remember who they got to dub it. I want to say it was somebody incredibly famous, like Ala Pugachova or somebody like that. Ooh, um, I have it written down here. So it might be Ala Pugachova for the songs, but for the, the speaking part, um, it's uh, Valentina uh, Talizina, I think. So I don't know who that is. But I don't yeah. know who it is either. Um, but yeah, the, just the fact that they essentially dubbed the whole movie. And you can they did a very good job with it. You can really only tell during the singing mm. that it's it's dubbed. Um, yeah, you can tell with both. I mean, I like a few of the songs that they have the characters playing on the guitar, but if I was looking to save length, I would chop some of them out. And also, it messes with your suspension of disbelief, because they're clearly not really playing the, 
guitar. It's clearly someone else singing. Suddenly, the uh, uh, that Leningrad flat has amazing studio-like acoustics all of a sudden, and it's just yeah, it kind of takes it takes you out of it, like I said. Yeah, it's like a musical without the big dance numbers, which. You're already sp- suspending disbelief a lot by imagining that he got there in the first place, and it's just like a step too far. Um, I was going to say, would you recommend anyone who wasn't a bit of a Russia nut to watch this film? Um, but I suspect I know what you're you're going to say. I think if you are doing anything with studying Russia, because it is such a big cultural thing in Russia you do need to watch it just so that you have, in fact, watched it. It's like Miracle on 34th Street or something like that to Americans. Like, everybody's seen it, sort of a thing. But if you have no interest in Russia or Russian movies or anything like that, I wouldn't recommend it. All right. Well, thank you for that very candid uh, uh, response. Yeah, I, I think I liked it. Slightly more, but I can definitely, I can definitely see how this is, yeah, more relevant if you're, if you have that interest in, in in Russia. I mean, it might appeal to rom com fans, but like we said, there's some kind of icky undercurrents. But I guess that's not that wouldn't be the first time in a rom com. So, I don't know. Maybe we shouldn't be too harsh on it, considering it's from 1975. Well, thanks very much, Carrie, for for joining me. You're welcome. Travelling all this way to, to be with us for this recording. I refused to get off the couch for the recording. <laughs> all right, so if you'd like to contact the show and uh, tell us what you thought, um, there's a couple of different... Or to heckle my husband. Yes, all that. Um... <laughs> um then we're on Facebook, just put in Russophiles Unite, you should be able to find us. Um, on Twitter, the handle is Russophiles U, and um, for email, it's russophilesunite at gmail.com. Thanks again for joining us, have a fantastic new year, and dasvidanya. Dasvidanya. So that's it for this episode, but before I go, I'd like to thank Sasha Ilukovic and the Highly Skilled Migrants for the use of their song Cold in our intro. You can find that song and the rest of their back catalogue on Bandcamp and Spotify. If you're enjoying the show, please consider supporting us by leaving a rating at Apple Podcasts or at podchaser.com. That second one, Podchaser, even lets you rate individual episodes, so if this episode particularly stood out to you, you can let other listeners know that you enjoyed it. Recommending the show on social media is hugely helpful as well. If you can spare a moment or two to do that, it would really make my day. Thank you, thank you very much. Thanks again for listening, take care of yourselves, and bye for now. <laughs>